If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been on a journey talking about the value of the church. September is always mission time. September is always the time when we um, look at our values and what we're about and so on. And this is so exciting. Before I jump into this, I just want to echo uh, Pastor Curtis about the men's night tomorrow night. It's going to be great. You can eat as much pizza as you want. You're going to have a great time. And we've also got John Barrigan who will be sharing and speaking, a good friend of mine and is here in the congregation. Most remarkable testimony and experience that God has done in John's life. And, and you will not want to miss this. And you'll want to get to know John. And you'll want to get to know his message. He want to steal his thunder. But many, many years ago, him and his family were involved in the most traumatic car accident. Something that for many people would wipe out their faith or stop them from believing. But not the Barrigans. They stepped in. They kept following God. And they came through that experience with a deeper sense of the Lord and the Lord's purpose. And quite, uh, their life is a book and quite inspiring, uh, not quite, incredibly inspiring. And so if you're a, a guy, uh, go and see Curtis, sign up online and join us for the men's retreat. If I actually won't be there, Curtis will be running it, I'll be in uh, Prince George. Because obviously I offended somebody. And, <laughs> joke. Now I'm speaking at a minister's conference in Prince George tomorrow night and Tuesday. So I'll be there and I love Prince George. Love it. Uh, yes. I'm going to get feedback on that. Okay. The value of the church. Last week I mentioned to you about your decision to follow Christ but when you decide to follow Christ, you do not do this as an individual, alone. It's not me and Jesus and the rest of you. I don't need that. And I mentioned, you know, it's a little bit like saying, I'm a firefighter. And yet, I don't choose to be in a hall and be active and trained together. No, I, I'm, I'm kind of just a floating firefighter. And I like to get around and I practice in my back garden with my hose. And, and I've got a couple of ladders I pop on the back of my little mini. And my mini's painted red. And, and I drive around and if there's a fire, I might turn up and help. If not... And of course, that is farcical. It is ludicrous to think that when you're part of something so important that you can act as an individual. And the point is, is that the Lord loves his church. The point I want to make is that local church counts. And in this day and age when it's kind of like, uh, oh, I belong to the universal church. I'm part of the body. I'm the blood that circulates around. And, and so on. That I, 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 we can become like this. We can become independent for many, many reasons. But I reminded you that the writings of the New Testament were written to local churches. And, and that every church, as we see in Revelation, there is a... A, a beautiful lampstand, a, a brass lampstand that stands in the middle and the Lord talks about 
you know, I don't want to take your lampstand away. I want it to be there. I want it to be there. And somewhere in heaven, in glory, I think there's a lampstand that says Willow Park Church. That terrifies me. Because it means that we have a responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ to do church right, to live right, to be a people that are devoted. I preached this in the evening and I talked more about the lampstand in the evening congregation. And I talked a lot about this lampstand and how it's there and how I want it to burn and I want it to be there. And there was a guy in the back, I'd never met him, he'd never been to Willow Park Church. He was a bit scruffy. That's okay, you can come to Willow Park Church, Scruffy. And, and I say that because as I tell the story, and I, he came up to me at the end, he said, I know why I've come. I've never been here, and I know why I'm here. I said, really? I said, what do you do? He's a salvage worker. He gets and salvages stuff, and then I guess resells it, redoes it, redoes, you know, and all of that, and salvages this. And he said, I was salvaging this afternoon, and I saw something, and I knew at that moment that I had to take it, and that I was meant to give it to somebody. I said, wow, what are you going to give me? He said, it's from the sermon. And I thought, did I mention anything in the sermon? And then he ran to his pickup truck, ran back, and he gave me a brass lampstand. And he said, this is for you. I said, thank you. And, and it was just a little sign to make one wonder. So it's on my desk at the moment, and I'll show you if you want to see it. But uh, a little, and it reminded me about the intimacy and closeness And of course, the reason we love the church is because Jesus promised in Matthew of Gospel that he will build his church. He also promised and declared that he died for the believers. He died for his church. And we know that he loves his church. And one day, in glory, you and I, we will receive a crown that, that, gives, that says, well done for your devotion to the body of Christ. Not only will you receive a crown, but you receive a white stone with a new name that says, this is who you are and welcome to the party. Welcome to the celebration because you have an all-access pass to the kingdom of God and to eternity. He will also there... We will rule over the nations, it says. You will be given a new robe that is spotless and perfect. And your name will never be blotted out in the Lamb's book of life. And he will invite you to come and sit at the right hand. Now, I'm not sure how all that works. I'm not sure what it's going to feel like. I'm not sure quite, but as John spoke through the prophetic utterance of the revelation, it says, actually, the decision you've made is the most important decision, and it counts to be part of a local church. So let's push in deeper with this. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll start reading at verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field and God's building. That's where we stopped last week. By the grace of God has given to me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escapes through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So where do we start on this journey? Well, first of all, I want to say that church is all about together. That we are together, we are journeying together, and it takes effort for us to work together, to be together, to be. And we value the church as we understand. We join Jesus in building his sacred temple, the church. We're involved in this process. And one of our, our three statements that we, we, we talk about at our church is our real life vision. And our real life vision is one, R, we stand for redemption. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the gospel to change lives. We believe in the gospel to bring change and hope into an individual's life. That's why we're baptizing 30 people this afternoon, because the gospel works today. Because the gospel changes lives. Because there's a day when you don't know God and one day you meet God and you experience a revelation, a conversion, a moment of love. And you know that you are now devoted to serving and to following the Lord Jesus Christ. E, empowering. We believe that we are a church that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do Christianity without the Holy Spirit. You can't because... We need the power of the Holy Spirit. A is activism, active, priesthood of all believers, exactly this point. We work together in building his sacred temple, the church. And of course, L is for listening and prayer, that we listen to each other and we listen to God and we seek his mind and we seek his will. In 1 Corinthians, as we've read, for we are co-workers. In other words, we are all here together and we are all called to participate in the work of the kingdom of God through local churches in every town, in every village, in every hamlet where God's word is being preached. We are called to work together and be co-workers. And, and we, that is a challenge for each one of us in God's service. You are God's field. Now, what do you do with a field? Well, you plough it, you sow it, and the field becomes fruitful. 
And the one prayer that I have again and again is that our church would continue to be fruitful, even as we come out of COVID, even as we step out uh, and it feels like if you're into Marvel and the world across Canada, if you know this moment in a Marvel movie, when Thanos clicks his fingers and half the people disappear. It feels a little bit like that. That in church life, suddenly there's been a clicking of fingers and church has changed. People have changed. People have disappeared. People have reappeared. And all the pastors are scratching their heads. And we're all going, well, what's this going to look like? What's happening? But let me remind you, leading a church through a pandemic is the greatest calling. And preachers have done it through the centuries. And they have done this. For we are co-workers in God's service and you are God's field, God's building. So he's building us. We are literally God's building and this is what's happening. And by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, Paul says. But someone else is building on it. But each one should build. And this is the word I want you to notice. Each one of us should build the church with care. It's important. And that's why we should love the church because there's a warning in this passage that we should build the church with care. And we should love the church. And what we're engaging in is a careful, loving process of equipping and building the church. Whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's in youth ministry, whether it's in our seniors ministry, whether it's in our adult ministries, whether it's as we gather together that we would be careful to build a strong church and disciple a church in the principles and the way that God so desires. That's why we talk about prayer so much. Because in the scriptures, prayer is central. And we are a praying people. We are a loving people. We are a generous people. We are a people who have received salvation. And we've made the greatest decision of our life. And we've been on the mountain, if you like, with the Lord. And we've come back having decided, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And I will be in his presence for the rest of my life. It's amazing, isn't it? When I was in England... I, um, I was back for six days for my dad's 80th birthday. And me and my brother, we went jogging and, and running. My brother's amazing. He, he, he lost 42 pounds, uh, my brother. Honestly, he, he was always my little brother who didn't do any sports. And then he became my little brother who lost 42 pounds. And now he's like in marathons. So I had to like get fit before I went back. I was like, he's going to whip me. And, and we did go on a lot of runs together. We did three. And, um, and that's a whole different story. Two brothers jogging along the English hills as the one younger brother wants to humiliate his older brother, who is me. <laughs> so one of our plans was to climb uh, Britain's highest mountain, England's highest mountain, Scarfell Pike. So we got there and, and he'd never climbed a mountain and now he's uber fit. Um, I said, come on, we'll go to Scarfell in the lakes and we'll climb the mountains, the mountains where Wordsworth spoke of. Coleridge wrote poetry about these mountains. And 
They're amazing. I know when Canadians go, they go, that's not a mountain. But (laughs) honestly, they're beautiful. And so we climbed up for two and a half hours and scrambled and went to the top. We reached the top and then we're having our ham sandwich. And as we're looking across, there's like a big pile of rocks where everybody climbs onto so they can be the highest person in Britain at that moment. And then I watched this couple, they climbed up and she was turning around and she was loving it. And then suddenly I noticed the guy falls to his knees and she's looking out and he's behind on his knees. And I said to Chris, he's going to ask her to marry him. I said, come on, let's get really close. So I started moving, and I got my iPhone out, and I started to move towards them and, and kind of climb up the steps, and, and, and there were some scouts up there as well, some kids, and, 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 and she turned around, and she looks for him, and she looks down, and he's holding a box with a ring, and he says, will you marry me? She turns away, bursts into tears, and then says, yes. At which point all the scouts clap and, and I get really close and I say, actually, I'm a minister. Would you like to get married right now? <laughs> Absolutely true. And he said, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and I said, what a decision on a mountain to make. Her tears were flooding, her, her commitment, their love together. It was just, just a beautiful moment. And now they're committed And they will be married and they make a decision to be in the union of marriage and to be together for their life is glorious. But you and I have experienced a mountain experience when we said to our God, our creator, like Moses, I am here for you, God. I made that decision. And yet in today's society, when it comes to our decision to follow Christ, to be part of his bride, to be part of his church, it's so easy for us to walk away. It's so easy for us to break relationship. It's so easy for us to get offended. It's so easy for us to get hurt. I mentor, I think it's 17 pastors. I meet them in two groups over... Uh, once a week for 32 weeks a year. So I was with a group of my mentoring group. And I'm also mentored by a pastor. And in this group, we were talking about, about church starting up and, the, um, and, and how they were all feeling. And they, a lot of them were feeling pretty wounded, pretty hurt, pretty like we've been through a tough time. And we were studying these scriptures together and reading these scriptures. I was leading them in these scriptures. And at the end of it, I said, you know, something I do every year as I sit down, which comes from set free, I make an inventory of all the things that have hurt me, of all the comments, the secondhand offense, the rumors, or this, or this issue. You know, because it's so easy for us to become offended, isn't it? So easy for us. If somebody looks at us a bit strange, we just, well, I'm not going back there again. Or if somebody says something and we don't agree or, or uh, something hurts us. 
So I said, what I often do with Michelle is we make a list of all the things that we've picked up over that season of ministry. And then we sit together, Michelle and I, and we go through it and we say, I confess the sin of anger at this person and I forgive them in the name of the Lord. And Michelle said, do you receive God's forgiveness? And I say, yes. And I acknowledge that. And I, I, I release the sin of offense. Or, or disappointment, or a bit of pain, because, you know, and go through this. And, and I said to these pastors, I said, you know, on Zoom, press the button if you would like to make an inventory and raise, you know, raise your virtual hand if you want to do this next week, because we'll break into small groups and we'll just go through all the garbage we've picked up through, through COVID months and years and Every hand went up. But the truth is, we all need that, don't we? I'm just telling you, because I'm a pastor, and pastors don't often say, hey, we need this. But you need that. We all need that with our family, with our friends, with relationships, because life damages us. And the answer to damage in life is what? It's forgiveness. The answer to damage and pain and wounding and offense is confession, because confession takes away the power and the lie and the bait of Satan in our lives. And Satan will always tempt us with offense. He will always tempt us with resentment. He will always tempt the together church together to go a certain way that we become hurt or wounded. And rather than talking it through and finding life and finding healing, we're not doing that. We're just backing away. As if Thanos has clicked his fingers. But by grace, God, so it's built with care for no one can lay Any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our church, our church is laid on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It got right back to the Apostles' Creed, right back to the Nicene Creed of what we believe, of what the church has agonized over, of what we have said and we can't build on anything else except Jesus Christ. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Wow. I mean, if ever that's an encouragement for for church leaders and elders to be in the place of prayer. Because we don't want to build out of charisma. We don't want to build out of wrong motive. We don't want to build out of resentment. We don't want to build out of arrogance. We want to build in the right way, which is building on Christ. So we build carefully, but the church will be tested. Leadership will be tested. The heart will be tested. And if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Well, that's a relief. But I'm still going to be tested. The eldership are going to be tested. You, you, those of you who are mature in the faith will be tested. Because you are all priesthood of all believers. And so we've got, it's an important issue. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
So often in our individualistic age, Jesus and me, we can talk about that I'm born again and the spirit dwells in me and amen and amen. But what we can forget about is that the church is the temple and the spirit of God dwells within the church. So we are together. And in fact, anybody that destroys the church, judgment will come on, it says. And there are moments when whole churches blow up, when whole churches disintegrate, when whole churches disappear, that they have grown and that they have, have developed and they become this, this beacon. But then something has happened because of, of error, because of wrong character, because of division, because of pain. And we see it and it's been documented. It, it blows up. It is destroyed. Don't you know that we have the Spirit and together in a mystery, the church is together and the Spirit dwells and we are the temple of God where the glory of God dwells here. So it makes me have to be very humble about Christian community, whatever form that takes. Because the Spirit dwells in our mix and we are a sanctuary for God. Paul says that if you together are God's temple, verse 17, you together are God's temple. So three things I want to mention. And of course, Romans reminds us that you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And the church should have the spirit of Christ and that we belong to each other. And last week I spoke about the failures of the church, the wrong decisions of the church globally and the pain it has created and, and, and how we've gone along with secular and sinful ideas at times and, and referenced, of course, the residential schools. But we remember this that we have to walk humbly as a people before God. But what is the purpose of the church? Three things that will not surprise you. First of all, the purpose of the church of us being together is to worship together. There is power in worship. That's why when we gather at the end of the month for our prayer and praise summit and we worship and, and pray, we know that worship makes a difference. God calls us to be worshippers, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Have you noticed that when you feel sick, when you feel low, when you feel down, when you are battling in life, if you pause and set some time aside just to honour and to worship God, what a difference it makes, how the cloud disappears, how when you're traveling through hard times that the power of praise brings the walls of Jericho down, that the power of praise parts the Red Sea, that the power of praise brings the fire and the glory of God into our lives. We are called to be a worshiping people. And I know this from talking to so many people that when they feel anxious or they enter times of depression or they're traveling through times of real difficulty, how, what a blessing it is to just worship the Lord. 
What a release it is to put some worship on. What a wonderful experience it is to be worshipers. And if you can do anything, if you've got 10 minutes to pray, I say to you, worship for eight minutes and bring your requests for two minutes and you will see what God does. Be a worshiper. Be a priest, as it were, before the Lord. Honor him. Now, I am not a good worshiper. I am a lousy singer, honestly. My name may be Phil Collins, but that's where it ends, completely. I'm just useless. I was in one church singing and, and somebody, a lady said to me, I won't mention the denomination because I, I don't want to do that because they were Baptists. But <laughs> they, they, she said, haven't you got a lovely mellow voice? I said, thank you. Oh, wow, because I'm tone deaf. I'm horrible. And so I went home and looked up the word mellow, thinking it was a compliment. Mellow read as follows. Mellow means overripe to the point of rotten. And (laughs) I'm not a good worshipper with my voice. And the worst experience of any of this team can have is if I've got my mic on and for some reason it goes through the sound into their inner ears and all they can hear is Pastor Phil, then that is medieval torture. Uh, But I know that when I sit and I say the Psalms, that when I sit and declare glory to God, I may not have a tune that is worth listening to, but I have praise on my lips. And when I honor him and I declare him and I praise him, the cloud lifts, joy comes, and God gives me the power to keep going. And so we are called to be worshipers and everything, to live for the glory of God. We do everything for his glory. You go to work for his glory. You serve or you serve for his glory. We love people for his glory. The next thing we're called to do as a church is to equip one another, to grow, to develop in maturity because we have been given so much. To, to take the goodness and the word of God and to allow it to equip us and to nurture us and to feed us. And the call of the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers is to equip the saints for ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. We are here to be equipped so that we can minister and we can grow in God and we can experience that development and come close and mature because we've been given given so much goodness. Karl Barth, the great German theologian of the last century, had a lovely little metaphor. He said in his, one of his great theses, his books, he wrote about how that there's a group of people who are living in a warehouse. And everybody has got everything provided in this warehouse. But there's no sky, there's just a ceiling. And all the windows are dirty. And one day, some children in that warehouse, and they've always lived there. It's always been controlled. They've always known where their food was coming from. They've always been fine. Rub the dirt off the windows, and they look out, and they see out there into the world. They see people passing by. And they go out, and they watch, and they see people looking up, and they can't understand what they're looking up at. They don't understand what's going on. Of course, we know. We, 
We live under a sky. We look at beautiful clouds, amazing sunsets. We look at uh, a flock of geese that flies. And we look at an uh, uh, eagle move. And Karl Barth says one day they, they looked and they, they made a door in that warehouse and a couple of them went out and for the first time they no longer saw the ceiling but they saw the glory of the heavens. His point is pretty obvious. That for most people their life is in a warehouse where they see no heavens, they see no glory, they control their life and they're just there. But you and I have got out the warehouse. You and I are free. You and I have broken free of the confines of this world. And we are now part of God's kingdom. And we look up and we see the glory of the heavens. We see the glory of God. And they go back into the warehouse, he writes. And he tells the other people, but they're not interested because they don't believe that outside of this warehouse, there is a new life. There is an exciting way. There are the heavens to see. There's a new world beyond the confines of the warehouse. And yet so many people live their life in a warehouse when God wants us to break free and to enjoy and see the glory of the heavens. For each one of us, we're called to mature. We're called to grow. We're called to be nourished on the word of God. You know, there's that little verse, many verses in the Hebrew, which is the word meditate on scripture. But in one verse in Isaiah, it talks about how the lion gnaws at a bone and its prey. And it uses the same experience, the same Hebrew word as meditating for that. Now, I've got a dog. When I give my dog a lamb bone after I've had a lamb shank, which is actually my favorite meal, oh, Usually she sits there just staring at me as I eat it. I have such power. And then at the end, I give the the bone to the dog and it goes off. And boy, it gnaws, it goes deep, it enjoys. And yet that is the same word Isaiah uses for meditation and the same word that is used in, in Psalm 1, those that meditate on the word of God. And what God asks us to do is break free of our warehouses and he asks us to grow and to gnaw and to meditate on the wonders and the glory of God. And some of us, we've lost the ability to be equipped to grow. And finally, evangelism and mercy. Wherever we find ourselves. And I'm going to finish here. I won't. I'll pick up. We've got a little series here. So I'll pick up on this. The church's role. The church's role is that we are called to be worshippers. The church's role is that we are called. We are called to be equipped and to be mature and to grow. And all theology and the study of theology and the word should create a loving heart within us, a love for each other and a love for God. And where knowledge creates anger, it is not right. But where intimacy and knowledge of God creates love for God and love for each other, that's exactly what God calls us to do. 
calls us to go deeper into this relationship with him. He calls us to be part of a family. He calls us to be free and to find freedom. And maybe in your own life, it's time for you to find freedom. And let me tell you, it is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. And it's been lovely to have you here. Maybe you've come here and you are, but you know that you're living back in the warehouse. You know that you're not living fully for Christ. You know that you need to go home, make an inventory, and confess a lot of garbage. And it's time to take the garbage out. It's time to sort it out and to offer our lives to Christ. Let's pray together. Every one of you can know salvation and forgiveness. And this morning, if you know you need to get right with God, either because you're locked in the warehouse and it's time to get out, or because you've been out but you so easily go back, then dedicate yourself to Christ. Become a Christian this morning. How? By praying. By acknowledging that you need Christ. By asking God to forgive you and come into your life and change you. This is what I prayed when I became a Christian from an atheistic background. It's the greatest decision you can make and it will transport you to the mountain where you say yes to God and his glory comes. This is the prayer I prayed. Whisper it to yourself if you so desire. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I realize that I am a sinner and I am living my life without you. And I'm sorry, Lord. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give my whole life to you. Come into my life and change me. This morning I choose to be a follower of you. I choose to be your disciple. Maybe for a moment just say sorry for things that are bearing down on you. Maybe for a moment express what you feel and that you want God to be real. Whether you're making this decision for the first time or like a prodigal, you're coming home. And you can now, this morning, know Christ in your life. 
I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but this morning, if that's you, and while everybody's just praying for a moment, we'd love you to connect with us. But if you've made that decision, then just slip up your hand for a moment. And by slipping up your hand, you're saying, pray for me. I choose to be a Christian this morning. Is there anybody? God bless you. That's wonderful. Anybody else? I know that this morning, because I prayed for this person who's just given their life to Jesus Christ. Anybody in the balcony? God bless you. Down below. Lord, I thank you for the decisions that have been made this morning to come out of the warehouse and to come into the freedom and to enjoy the glories of the heavens. And I pray for these individuals that have made a decision for you that you will bless them and come to them and make it real. Amen. So, particularly those two individuals I'll make sure I connect with you. I didn't quite see in the balcony, but come and see me. I will pray with you and the other individual. And maybe you've come with somebody and asked them, what do you think of that? Is it time for you to become a Christian? Because uh, we do evangelism and we tell people good news. I remember I met with a guy who used to come all the time to this church. Sat at the back, came, went, left. I've met with him. I said, is it time for you to become a Christian? He said, no. Oh, that was good. That went well. Six months later, I looked at him and said, is it time? He said, yes. And, he gave, and he's come ever since. And, uh, and he knows who he is if he's here this morning. Let's stand together. I'll be at the front and we'll pray with those that responded.